What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 226, you heard that right, episode 226 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Hold up, hold up, hold up, stop what you're doing, pause this episode, and then go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Once you get that done, get right back to the show because we have a great one for you. Today's show, Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakdown returns to Combo's Court. Always great talking basketball with Coach Nick. Go subscribe to Nick's YouTube channel, B-Ball Breakdown. You can find Nick on Twitter at B-Ball Breakdown. That's B-B-A-L-L-B-R-E-A-K-W-O-N. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Nick of B-Ball Breakdown. Welcome back to Combos Court. How you been, man? How's it How's it out there on the West Coast? Oh, it's it's really, you know, I mean, it's kind of nice when, when you're not hiding, you know, from COVID. But um, other than that, I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not ready. It's like it, I'm not ready for tomorrow to be the uh, opening night. Why not? It seems like we they just played and, you know, we didn't get our proper, you know, offseason. I didn't get a chance to, you know, we didn't have a whole Vegas summer league. There's just a lot of things missing. And um, but I have to say the the matchups for tomorrow night are great in a way that I'm really looking forward to that. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's get it on. What do you say? <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, I guess preseason is the closest thing we'll get to summer league, huh? Oh, well, I, yeah, I guess so. But I got to tell you, you know, I'm going through I went through the Clippers offense because of Doc talking about the triangle offense. I was like, oh, this is great. Let's let's find some examples. And it, it, it's really kind of embarrassing. They really couldn't run their offense very well at all. And I kind of get in the feeling, you know, watching these games that a lot of the teams just felt like they didn't really have a lot of time in their in their preparation in the training camp to like really put in offense. A lot of new parts, new guys, for a lot of different teams. Um, so I'm worried that, uh, you know, the first month of the season is going to be kind of disjointed while guys are running into each other and pointing all over the place. You know it, right? When you see it right away, there's always two guys going, no, get over in the other corner. And the guy's like, what? So you saw that a lot of the Clippers and, uh, and, you know, I think with a lot of other teams as well. I feel like we thought that would happen in the bubble, but it didn't really happen. Like teams look pretty sharp. That is an interesting point too. Yeah. Um, although now it's like, what is time? Like I can't even remember the first of those eight game play in games, but uh, yeah, I think that we all felt that way that it was sort of like uh, pretty smooth um, and they got back into the swing of things, but I do believe they had probably longer preparation time heading into the bubble eight games. I, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like it was at least as long, if not a little bit longer. Plus they were all on one spot. They probably did at least one, maybe two practices a day. Like they, it was much more focused. This seems like it's kind of back to normal without the fans. Um, and they don't have as much time. So, yeah. As you said, no summer league. Did any of these rookies impress you? I was impressed by a bunch of them, to be honest, from Pokashevsky to LaMelo to Cole Anthony. Um, Tyrese, I was high on before the draft, and I thought he's been playing great. Um, which rookies impressed you watching them play? 
Well, people were all kind of flying into my mansions with quickly over on the Knicks, Emmanuel yep, quickly. Yep. And so I said, okay, let's call it up and see, because it turns out they're going to give him the, the reins to the, in the starting lineup. Uh, and I like him. He's good. He's under control and he can run the pick and roll. He's got a nice floater game uh, and he can shoot. He was an elite shooter in college and there's no reason to believe that that won't translate. You know, he's, he's been hitting them now in the preseason. So I like him. I mean, there's certainly a shortage of things to be positive about with the Knicks. So it's nice to see that he's doing nicely. Obi Toppin is, you know, doing some things. Um, so those two guys are, you know, something to be to be uh, excited about to some degree. Uh, I think Lamelo. Um, I mean, the audacity of his passing is still. I'm mean, so glad to see it because I was afraid he'd get a little bit tentative and not want to throw those. But I think we all saw that one underhanded, uh, you know, 65 foot bounce pass in transition that was, uh, I mean, just enthralling. Uh, I don't know if I care too much about the fact that he can't even get the ball near the rim these days. Um, I, th- I think he's just going to get have to get a, a little bit more acclimated uh, to the game, to the length and all that stuff. Uh, and then he'll start to, you know, he'll make his low 40s percentage of field goals and, you know, probably in the 30s for three. Uh, so he'll be OK. But uh, but I've been certainly impressed with the passing. Uh, who else are we talking about um, that, that I'm forgetting right now? Tyrese Maxey looked pretty good. Uh, did you see Pokashevsky play in Maladon? I thought they looked pretty good. You know, Maladon is funny because I, everyone was trying to tout him back in like the early part of this year because I was looking to do a video on someone that nobody had heard of. Okay. So I went through the footage and I was like, I don't get it. I don't see at all why this guy would be considered a, like a first round pick. But he does look, he, he looks like a, I mean, he looks like a rookie, but he looks, there are some good things to see from him. So um, the way he uses I, pick and roll, the way he changes speed, even though he's not the quickest, it looks like he has that pro game, you know? Yeah. I like that. Cause a lot of times you wonder if they're going to be too fast and out of control and whatever we and we, and that happens too. Like I quickly did that a couple of times too, some wild shot, which is yeah. to be expected, but yeah, Maladon's been playing in the Euro league. Uh, I don't, I don't see that from him. I see him under control too. Uh, so the question is, yeah, is he going to be able to stretch the floor? Um, and can he handle, I mean, I think defensively is one of his stronger points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's good at that. So, um, so, you know, we'll see, he should have lots of opportunities to play as well. That's, that's the big one. Um, let's get to some big news, Nick, uh, Rudy Gobert signed for 205 million. I'm always happy to see anybody make their money. Uh, congrats to him, but is that a lot of money for a player that many would deem a center, a traditional center. He's not a traditional center because he's not really the guy that you throw the ball down to and he's going to make a move in the post. But guys like Gobert do lose value in the playoffs. Um, Is that a lot of money for a player like him? I mean, I've been on the record. I, I, I love Rudy. I'm sure as a coach, you'd love to have him on your team. He's a great teammate and all those things. Uh, so I hate to speak ill of anybody, but if we're talking about like ability and skills, you got to be able to, you know, in a, in a, 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 a brutal way, I guess, you know, and analyze what he does. So here's the thing. I've been on record saying that they should trade him for a long time and that they needed to trade him while his value was high, which I think, I don't, I don't think they were bidding against themselves. I don't think anyone else is going to pay him anywhere near that. They wanted to reward him. He's, he's a loyal jazz and I get all those things. And that's always nice, especially in a small market where you, it's hard to really retain or to attract free agents. Uh, but I think it's going to be an overpay. I mean, it's it's an overpay already, and um, it's going to be a problem because they're never going to be able to move him from with that contract. I don't think now, and that's and that and I'm sure they're okay with that. I'm sure the Jazz fans are okay with like being competitive, maybe getting to the second round, maybe getting to the conference finals, maybe on a like a play over their heads and kind of sneak into there. You know, I don't know if the if the NBA title is their goal, then that's is not what's going to get them there. 
Yeah, but it will keep them in the playoffs. And if they did lose him, it's probably like the fear of losing him, right? Really why he got paid. It's part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, <laughs> I, I think you can find a guy. Here's the question. So they're paying him, what, $40 million a year? Is that what it is? I think? Five, yeah. I think over five years, right? 205 over five, or is it four? Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. It, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I think you could find someone, you know, that could give you 75% of his production and pay that guy $10 million a year. And then, you know, still, still wouldn't lose anything in the win loss percentage. And that's how I look at it again. But again, I, Rudy is a, is a great guy. He's a, he's a great teammate. He really, he, he plays the right way for what you would need. So I don't want to cast aspersions on him as a person or, you know, that sense. But I'm just thinking that it's, it's just, a, it's, there's no value for him. As, and especially again, in that crucible of looking at it from the playoffs perspective. And if you want to go farther than we've gone before, I just don't think he's going to be the guy. And if, if and that it does happen, it's probably because they got to play him a little less. You know, so now you're paying play a guy that much money, but he has he's got to play less in the playoffs. Like that doesn't doesn't compute. You you could do a lot. You could you could get a better value for less money. I wanted to shift to the East Coast, Nick. Uh, we talked about the Nets on this podcast before, but not really from a coaching perspective. So, what adjustment do you think Nash will have to make? Because I think the thing that they're lacking is probably players with off off ball value. I mean, they have Karis Levert, uh, who might be coming off the bench. They have. Which, which I'm saying he doesn't have off-ball value. That's, that's my point. Oh, well, Joe Harris. <laughs> no, no, that's what I'm saying. But you, I think they need more guys like Joe Harris and Shemin right now, right? No, I think they have everything they need. I really do. Okay. Um, you know, because you're talking about KD. He, he's off-ball too. You know, Kyrie's doing his thing, and then you got KD doing it. At any one time, you know, so Nash is interesting. He's been – last game I watched, he was taking uh, Kyrie and KD out at the same time, which I can't believe he's going to do that. He's going to have to give each, other, the, each of them their own six minutes a game or five minutes a game where they get to eat on their own. So think about that. You're always going to have Kyrie or always going to have KD on the floor at any one time, along with the Harrises and the Spencer Dinwiddies. Guys who – you know, Spencer Dinwiddie can catch and shoot. He's, he's, he's fine with that. Um, Joe Harris is elite at that. Uh, you know, I, I think Shamit is elite at that when he's playing that role. He should be. He should shoot in the mid-40s. So um, they have enough. And then they have they go big. They can have Jared Allen. They have DeAndre Jordan to kind of get off the, the subject of the weak side stuff. But um, I really like the Nets. And um, I don't – I think the, the real challenge will be whether or not Steve Nash as a rookie coach can, can handle it and figure out how to get all these guys to behave. Uh, the one thing I think I like the most right now is I'm seeing KD and Kyrie looking for each other and looking to get them the ball, which is nice. They're not going to be hogging it and trying to say, well, I'm going to show you what I can do. And I'm going to show you what I can do. No, they're both seem maybe overwilling to get the ball to the other guy. And uh, so that's all good. I, I don't see uh, too many weaknesses, which is why I don't think they even need to deal with the whole Harden thing. Would that be your favorite team in the East? I mean, I like Philly. I like, I think Boston took a step back. I mean, the Heat are going to be good. Uh, how do you feel about those teams and where do the Nets rank in the East? Well, anybody who's heard my stuff on my side, I've been saying this for a few times now, where the idea is that Philly, Boston, uh, and Milwaukee have been building, and you can probably throw Toronto, but Toronto's gotten their title. So I feel like, you know, they don't, they can't complain too much. But they built this over years, right? They've they've done draft picks, they developed, they you know, and this is like a long four or five year course to get to the finals. And then in one fell swoop, the Nets come in and they're going to destroy all those plans. So one of those teams I just mentioned is probably going to end up blowing it up because they're going to realize, oh, we're screwed now for three years. 
And I don't want to wait anymore. We've already wasted three years this way. So Philly could be the one because I don't think that, um, you know, Simmons and, and Embiid is the, is the pairing that's going to get them to the finals. I just don't – it just doesn't seem like it, it's going to work. And they have tried it, and this is probably the last year anyway. So if it starts to go south and they realize how well the Nets are doing, then why wait? Like, why not see what they can make a move this year and, and get on that train quicker to figure out how they can make that happen, which is probably why they're, they're most motivated to get hardened. Don't you think they should try it one more year because they have Maury in place, they have Doc Rivers in place, and now there's a better balance of shooting? I think they do lack some shot creation, though, and maybe could add one more player. It's funny. I had a live IG with uh, Pierre. He's co-host of Off the of uh, Through the Wire podcast for Bleacher Report, and we talked about uh, – we came up with two names that would help them. Uh, I don't know who you would come up with. We thought of Mike James, who's currently playing overseas, and maybe Isaiah Thomas. Like, is there a player that you think could help them or do you think they pretty much, well, obviously you don't think they have what they need. Uh, right. What's the shooting they have now? Remind me. Can you, get, you know, put you on the spot? Well, they have Seth Curry. Right. I forgot. Yeah. And they have Danny Green, but I feel like those guys aren't uh, good enough at creating their own shot, even though, you know, Seth could do it a little bit. Yeah, but they, they won't need to. I mean, in theory, they won't need to because Embiid will kick out and certainly Simmons will. Um, okay. So your point stands, they have more shooting than they did last year. That's a fact. Yes. Let's okay. Let's go see. I don't know. I don't feel it. I don't, I'm not feeling it uh, from them. (laughs) So you're feeling the nets from what I'm getting from you. You're feeling the nets a lot more than the Sixers. I, I really do. I mean, Levert is huge for them, and so is Spencer Dinwiddie because now they have like two, that. like, you know, legit starters who can play either off the bench or not or, or fill in when those guys are off. Because uh, off. in theory, uh, when the net starters are out there, they're going to, after that first six, seven-minute stint in the fourth quarter, they probably will have a lead, right? They're going to have a lead whenever they're on the court. So the question is, what happens when they have to go off and rest? And that's when you get guys like, you know, the Dinwiddies and the Leverts. And there's more on that, on that team that I'm, I'm omitting right now. You know, Harris and you know, other guys uh, who can help them maintain that lead, maybe extend it too. And so all of a sudden now, like, they were just really imposing. Um, whereas on the other side, it's like, I think it's the Simmons thing, which I, 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 listen, I love Simmons. And I've done videos where I've, you know, gone over, overboard with that, but you know, as we've seen, uh, there's just a real problem when he it's not even like the the, the, the shooting. It's just like the the the, the the he doesn't even desire. He doesn't even try and shoot it from outside of six, seven feet. So it really changes the way you defend. And even in the regular season, I suspect now that we've seen enough in the playoffs without having to spend a lot of time on the preparation, you'll start to see even more of that Simmons sag. Uh, and that gums up the works for everybody else. It's like I was watching the Wizards play. And it's like the same thing happening now. Beal will be the most frustrated man in the NBA because uh, the Russ's man is going to sag way off of him. And that already has been happening in the, in the preseason. And he just gets in the way of anything else any of the other four guys want to do. And, uh, and Russ doesn't really move off ball like that to maybe mitigate that. So uh, it's a real problem when you have a guard in a lead position like that, that uh, just doesn't really have a way of, you know, finding a bucket outside of the, you know, four foot range. Uh, Celtics lost Hayward. Where do you rank them among all of this? Uh, they got some much-needed rim protection because it, it definitely seemed like they needed that when they played Bam and the Heat. So uh, where do you rank them? Do you think they took a step back, a step forward? What are your thoughts uh, on that? I kind of feel the same, and I'm still like, you know, I was really high on uh, Tatum and, um, and, and Brown together causing all sorts of problems, but there seems to be a bit of a stagnation from them. They haven't made that next jump, and they're going to have to, especially because of Hayward not being there. Uh, although it sounds like Hayward was a big Hayward was like a buzzkill 
all around and politically and you know locker room, which is hard to believe because it, I think he's a nice guy and would probably wouldn't ruffle feathers. Uh, but it, but it sounded like I, maybe I, and I could just be whatever, but it's, it kind of felt like in the background, you kind of heard like, we're kind of glad he's not here. I don't know if that's whatever. Nonetheless, I'm not pretending I don't have any inside information on that, but uh, sometimes that happens addition by subtraction. Um, but I don't know if I'm completely feeling it with the Celtics either. And this is a, the Brad Stevens could very well be in the hot seat. You know, and he's certainly not going to get like fired this year. But if they go through the whole season and they lose in the, you know, second round in five games, you know, that's a that that, that's going to be a thing. They're going to be looking at that because he's been here for a while and he hasn't really kind of come through and made a finals appearance yet, um, you know, despite his all of his accolades and his reputation. Yeah, I don't know a coach that could bring them to like I'm not high on them. I don't know a coach that could bring them to the finals, in my opinion. Like, yeah, like when you have the Nets, you have Philly, you have the Heat. I just. I think they're like fourth or fifth in the mix, Milwaukee. Right. I mean, I think Tatum is Tatum is not progressed. He still goes to the basket as if there's nobody defending him, and and then kind of gets surprised when he runs into somebody or something. Uh, and so that's those are the things I'm looking for. Because listen, he's you know he's an elite shooter off the dribble from three, like the hard ones he was really great at, and the ones that catch and shoot he's he isn't as great at, uh, or or lower than you know less than average. So it's just that kind of thing that you got to see the next step. He's got to do it this year. And then Brown, I think, has a higher ceiling, believe it or not, on both ends of the, of the floor. But, you know, there, there are still times he doesn't quite believe it. And so um, that's, the, that's the issue there. And they, they can only go so far as those two are going to take him. And, um, you know, I, don't, I just feel like they're probably stuck in a holding pattern right now. Yeah, everybody, I'm not as high on Tatum as everybody else. Do you feel that for him to be an elite, elite MVP level, he – like, I just think he lacks a little bit of burst and a little bit of feel. Do you see that? Uh, the feel, I think, is maybe might be the best thing. Because, again, you know, if we quickly go and look at his stats, because I'm sure they're amazing. Like, let's see. From yeah, last year, he was uh, – let's see. He averaged uh, 23 points, uh, seven rebounds, three assists. I thought he averaged more than that, Nick. Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was going to be like 27. It was only yeah. 23. He shot 45% from the field and 40% from three, again, which is amazing. But again, it, it, ironically enough, and it was probably because of those seven threes he's taken a game, half of those are like crazy hard step backs, but he makes more of those. Um, so, so in theory, he should be at like 45, 46%. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are good numbers. But again, in the higher pace, higher possessions we see now, you know, like 23 a game isn't such a big deal as, as it used to be. Uh, you know, right. that 27, 28 is when you're like, okay, legit, legit number one score on a good team. So, yeah, he's not quite there. And um, I don't know if Brown's going to end up getting like enough of the touches where he could get beyond that as well. I mean, Brown was probably, he might have been 20, I think, right? Like if I say that. Yeah. I mean, I always thought they were closer together in level than most thought. Like I, I kind of think, I don't know. I mean, I, I know Tatum's better, but I don't think it's a huge gap. Right. Well, so so that so Jalen Brown, twenty point three points a game is right. Like I said, but he shot forty eight percent from the field, and that's and then thirty eight percent from from three. So he is much more efficient in I overall. And um, and then let's see here. You know, the assists and rebounds are pretty are similar. So uh, again, they, that that pairing can give other teams a lot of problems. But again, there's a consistency that's lacking there. Uh, maybe a little bit of toughness, I suppose. Um, and again, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see them getting any farther than they got last year. Uh, let's shift back to the West Coast. Um, how do you feel about the Clippers? Do you feel they made a step forward? I will say that um, I had the Lakers winning last year. I think they'll win this year. But I will say that Serge Ibaka could probably fit around star level talent a little bit better than um, 
Sixth Trez? man of the year. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, Montrez Harrell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, Doc came out and said that, I'm sorry, whoa. Tyron Lue said that they were <laughs> using... all over uh, the place today, Nick. <laughs> I know. It's This is hard, man. I'm going to... You know, this is good. Keep me on my toes. Um, so Tyron Lue had said, oh, yeah, we're using the triangle elements of the triangle. So, of course, I'm a triangle offense coach. I'm like, let's go find it out. So I went through almost every single half-court possession that they played in the preseason. And um, I saw a little bit. I saw a little bit. And there's some concepts they're using. Like the pistol stuff is right out of the out of the triangle offense. Um, but I also saw just a ton of uh, completely, I think I mentioned it earlier in the show, just like they're completely uh, uh, lost. They don't, like, they're not a cohesive unit. They don't know what they want to run. And by the way, if that's your fear and it's not working well, Sergio Baca is not the guy who he, he's the guy who was consistent, consistently in his career got lost and never really, really know where to be in an offense. It's not his thing. And I have a feeling that Scott Brooks and OKC like had to like make the offense a little bit more simple when he was out there, because otherwise he'd end up wandering and get stuck in the places he's not supposed to be that, that, and that, that's actually me watching um, like, when they go up from, uh, uh, to the timeout and you'd see like Russ or KD yelling at him because, and then you watch that possession right before and, you, and he literally, literally he was not in the right spot. I don't know where he might, where he needed to be, but he wasn't, it wasn't right wherever he was. So that could be an issue there. But then again, what he does to stretch the floor is much better than what um, Harold does, but he, he won't give you any low post scoring. And that's always nice to have. And Harold was really tough at that. So it's a weird dichotomy uh, between Harold and Ibaka um, so I don't know. I, as a result, I don't know how well I great I feel about it right now. I would have hoped they would have looked more crisp on the offensive end um, a year in new coach, but assistant coach who's been around. Um, and so far, so I, I have reservations, but again, we have to give them the 20 game, you know, buffer to see how this is going to work with the, with the new pieces that they have. Yeah, that's interesting because the Lakers kind of shifted their skill set around when it comes to their big man. I mean, they got a little bit less athletic, maybe a little bit higher with the IQ and the passing ability with Marcus Gasol. Um, I feel like they had the best offseason out there. What did you feel about their offseason? Oh, it's about, about pickups and everything? Yeah, Lakers, yeah. No, I don't know. Oh, I mean, really? listen, Rondo was really so good for them, and they're going to bring in Schroeder, who is, you know, a, 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 not, a, not the same kind of player at all. But, Nick, in his prime, and it's exactly what they needed when it comes to shot creation, right? Who? Schroeder? Schroeder, yeah, Schroeder, yeah. 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 And so it's a different, it's a, it's like, he's not going to replace what Rondo did. He's going to do something, but other, other things that are different. Um, so, but they have, a, they have Jason Kidd and LeBron on the bench. They have enough IQ, Nick, don't you think? Like they have enough brain trust there already. Right. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I'm talking about this, the dimes that Rondo yeah, was like a dime true. machine. Like it was crazy. So, that's but, true. but then again, Schroeder will score in a way that Rondo will, there's no hope to score. So, so there, so it's interesting. We'll have to see how that plays out. But as far as like, so that was good. I think Gasol's going to play 18 minutes a game, maybe. So it's not like he's going to have a huge impact. Maybe into the playoffs, he'll have more. Um, so it's almost like on the margins, they did nicely and they you know, to keep it going. And obviously the top two are so good. I would say a team like Atlanta probably had the best offseason, although I'm not sure we've quite seen it borne out yet. But, you know, adding uh, Bogdanovich and Gallinari and um, – uh, they drafted Okongwu, and they, there's somebody else I'm missing around Trey. I'm forgetting. So they, they added a lot of good pieces around him that I would expect that, would, you know, they do well. And by the way, if they don't come out the gate, you know, with a winning record after 20 games, then they're going to look at the coach, I imagine, too, and put him on the hot seat. Do you feel the Atlanta is somewhat rushing the process? I mean, it, don't you think it could stunt the development of some of those younger players? And also, I really like – I mean, I hear it. Like, I hear the Trey, and they want they want him to play more like Steph. Like, I hear people saying that. But I really like Trey with the ball, me personally. 
I, I like Trey, period. Whatever yeah, it is, okay. however he plays, I love the way he does it. Uh, right. His passing is probably better than Steph. Um, yeah, you know, although we've forgotten that Steph used to be more of a passer, like whatever his role has is, is morphed. Um, but here's the thing. Cam Reddish looks like he's ready and they're, they're, they're willing yes. to give him. They're not going to stun his growth. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, DeAndre, um, not DeAndre, but, um, DeAndre Hunter uh, is probably playing better than Cam Reddish. And so those two guys are getting their, their touches like they need to, at least so far in the preseason. So those guys shouldn't be stunted. Kevin Herter is the guy who was like developing nicely, who's going to get really the odd man out here, which is too bad. But hopefully they'll be able to find him his, you know, 20 minutes a game if he can. Uh, but I don't, I don't have a problem with it. But again, the only problem you have here is, is that because of the nets are disrupting the, the balance of power here, it does change everyone's timeline in theory. So that would be the argument for Atlanta to say, yeah, let's slow it down even more. But I have a feeling the clock must be running on Trey as well, even though he's only played for two years. Um, you know, at some point you get an itchy trigger, trigger finger after about four, if you're not seeing development. So I'm, I'm all for it. I think, and I like what, who they got. It wasn't like they brought in guys completely at the end of their career. I mean, Gallinari is, is sort of that guy, but he's, you know, he still has enough ability where it's still not produce. Like he can still produce. Yeah. 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 You know, pick and pop the whole time and there'll be that role. That's that'll work for them. Uh, you know, Bogdanovich is in his prime. So I, I like what they did. And I think that they, they should be much more competitive. You mentioned Steph. You had a great video on Steph. Uh, my thing is with Steph and the Warriors, I just think they're going to see a lot of gimmicky defenses. Uh, he's not going to have the spacing around him as he did in uh, other seasons, but you're really confident that he's going to have a crazy break. It's not a breakout for him, but like just a big time season. Well, interesting enough. So what you're thinking is they're just going to junk it so they get the ball out of his hands and he just won't get enough touches. Hard, or enough, hard, yeah. Like Harden and Dame type stuff because Harden and Dame never had clay. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, I do see, though, that they're mixing him up and playing him like Clay, too. So which is what they you know, he would get enough touches like that. But it looked like it's a little bit more balanced even now because Clay is out. And that might be the saving grace, because if they can they can vary it enough where he's off ball and he's back on ball, that might be hard enough for those teams to really key on that and then be able to, to blast him and get the ball out of his hands. Uh, in that way. And the ball is moving really quickly. They certainly are looking for him. And so if it goes boom, boom, quick, and all of a sudden the defense is scrambling, and then that third boom is going to be to Seth, they're going to make sure they find him. Those are the opportunities. So the question now is, is he going to, is he going to look, you know, make those? He looked a little bit off to me. I don't think he was shooting so well from the three-point line. I, I should check that before I completely it's very, that, it's, but, it's very early, though. Very early. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. it is, especially for him, right, because he's been off for so long. He's looking for his rhythm, exactly. and I'm sure he'll get it. And when he, once he gets it, by the way, we're going to have five-game runs where he just detonates and makes people, you know, especially if it's like those you know bad teams. He might have four, five bad teams in a row. Uh, he'll score 40 and shoot, you know, 50% from three and just remind us all. So, yeah, I, I expect him, you know, health, uh, you know, willing that he will, he will put up, you know, MVP like numbers for sure. Yeah. Like, do you feel a lot of their success is just dependent on how Ubre and Wiseman and Wiggins will step up? I think, I think team wide for sure. Uh, they're going to need them to really play well. I, I love Kelly Ubre. I love them wherever he's been. And uh, this is a great situation for him. It looks like he's going to thrive better than he had anywhere else. So I would expect him to be able to, you know, maybe surprise some people with his output. Uh, Draymond has not been back yet, so we don't know. But when he comes back, that's obviously going to make them better. Uh, and that, that's what gets them into like the, you know, fourth, fifth conversation in the West. And then, you know, who knows if, if Steph does his thing, like I'm thinking he might, they, get, they, can, they could get higher. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Nick. Um, did you get to watch Zion play in the preseason, going back to preseason? 
You know, not really. I did a video on him earlier, but I feel like I was, uh, you know, wait, I did do that one on him. And you know what? It's been so long now. It's probably like two weeks ago. I'm already forgetting. So I did see him a little bit, but um, I don't yeah, know. What you feel? Because you're, I think you're great at looking at somebody and what they're working with, with their biomechanics. Like, was he moving right? Did like he, how did he look to you? Oh, geez. I've, and now I have to remember if I was looking for that too, because yeah, he has a real, uh, you know, walks like a bear and switches side to side, which yeah. is ind indicative of a lot of things. And the reason why I'm up on that kind of thing spe specifically is because I, I had a hip replacement. I went through all that because I just dove for every loose ball. I just destroyed my body. And I, I understand what it means to be completely off balance and, um, and, you know, not, uh, uh, not flexible. So um, I don't think I've seen anything that indicates that he's got improved that that much. I mean, it's not easy to do. It's a lot of focus. And I kind of want to say like, for us, like the real evidence of him really working on that stuff would be him being slimmer because that's a lot of calories you're burning to do a lot of the uh, gait training uh, that you do uh, for, for that to have a meaningful impact. And I don't think we've seen him. I mean, do you think that he looks any slimmer than he did last year? No, I feel like, a lot of times we reach for it like, yeah, he looks a little bit of slimmer, but it's never anything substantial. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think I've seen that either. So to me, uh, keep your eyes uh, open and, and, and look at it. But uh, I, I don't know if we're going to see much difference on that end. But that said, we're still going to see him, you know, like I had predicted last year that he could lead the league in scoring as a rookie. And if he hadn't really gotten hurt, like, you know, he had enough games where it was like, but and the point being is not that he's like the most skilled offensive player. He's really skilled, but it's just the ease of, of baskets. He was getting out of that per, offense. Per minute, like, I mean, per minute, it's pretty crazy, right? The rate he scores at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, that bore out for sure. And um, I don't think that would change. Um, although, you know, with Stan coming in there, they're, they're running some different stuff. So, um, but, but, you know, again, he should get a lot of easy scores. Uh, I like their team. You know, they, I think they could have been a little bit more of a splash, but they, they, they should be in the mix again. But, you know, we'll have, to, we'll have to find out how this all works around Coach Van Gundy. You know, he was my boss when I was at Wisconsin, so I know him pretty well and how he does. And I, I would imagine, you know, with this, all the experience he's gotten now going through two, a few different teams that he's, you know, ready to, to do his best coaching of his career. So you have some insight on Van Gundy. Uh, what adjustments do you feel like he will make and he can make with that team? Well, I think um, a lot of it, let's see here. Gosh, I got it. You know, it's so funny because I did that video, but now it seems like I did it like a year ago. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm trying to kind of think of what the issues with the team were as far as like, uh, you know, I, I mean, I suppose there's an execution thing that you need to get. Like that, that's the difference between like the good teams and the bad teams, right? Like I'll see, you know, the good teams in a practice put in a set and then they'll run it perfectly that night right? They just have attention to detail and they can do that. And then you watch the bad teams who are working for three weeks on a set and they can't even set a screen properly or they make, make contact. So I think that there's a little bit of that. I feel like they're, they're, they might want to slow it down or, or, or no, no, they're speeding it up. Now, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, I do think that Stan's probably going to demand just like a higher level of execution of all the details. And that's what his thing's going to be on. And the funny thing is he's a funny guy. He likes to use humor, but he can also get on you and be that old school version of a coach. And that's the interesting thing. Does that work anymore? And can you like bark at him and all that stuff? You know, Thibodeau is trying it and he's already lost his voice in New York. So I have no idea how that's going to work. But, uh, I, you know, Stan's got a little bit more of a, of a, of a funny meter there, which he'll balance it out better. Yeah, I think all successful people really find a way to adapt to the new generation and current culture. He, he seems like 
he'll get it done, you know? Yeah. And by the way, I have, I have basketball books from the 1920s written by coaches who are complaining about players, not listening, not playing hard. So it's like, you know, whenever I hear that, Oh, there's, it's a different generation. They don't, it's all, it's every generation says that it's not, there's no different. So, you know, they, they always been dealing with that since the beginning of time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Any team or any, actually, you know what? I want to ask you this, any players that you think will really break out this season. I mean, I'm thinking Christian Wood, I'm thinking Kobe White. Uh, how about those guys or anybody else that you may be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, listen, I like Kobe White, and he's he's really good and really explosive. Uh, he could be one of those guys. I mean, Christian Wood is sort of already – I don't know how much more output he's going to give us. He did nicely, and, and you know, he should play well this year and, do yeah. you know, get his numbers. I, I'm kind of thinking Cam Reddish might be that guy. Uh, and I also kind of think that maybe Marvin Bagley will remind us all that he's really, really good. He didn't, his numbers are not really good right now in the preseason, but when I did watch a couple of the plays of his, I was like, oh yeah, this guy, he can get to the basket at will. He can shoot it a little bit and he's, and you know, good he can size. Up. yeah, and good size. Yeah. So, so if he's healthy, you know, we've forgotten about him. I, I think he could have a breakout year. So I, I'm probably going to do a video on, you know, I, I mean, me Cam Reddish first and then, um, uh, and then Marvin Bagley, but then also DeAndre Hunter is like getting in my way here because he's doing, you know, just as well, if not better. And they have the same haircut now. So it's really hard. Yo, um, yo, yo, coach, like you're big on the hair. You're always talking about the hair. Am I? It's so weird. I think I am. Yeah. And I, I just told that story somewhere else. I had a kid on my team who was, you know, on his way to playing D1 as, a, as in high school. And he had like some crazy hair. And I, I think I remember telling him like, you know, you don't want to be the hair guy. You want to be the guy who has an awesome crossover. Right. And you get that rep. like, no, he's just the hair guy. And it's totally surfaced and whatever. But there's something about that where I feel like that he kind of takes hold. You don't want that narrative. Um, but, but, you know, my eyes are, 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 are failing me and I'm watching so much footage. And so when I had, when there's two guys who are like similar height and similar build and they have the same hair, then it's like, oh, it's hard because I'm like, God, that was a great dunk by uh, Cam Reddish. And I was like, no, it's DeAndre Hunter. And then the other way around. Like, ah. But but it's a nice gotcha. thing to have, at least for um, for um, Atlanta, because those two guys kind of like in that Jalen Brown um, and then Jay, uh, Jason Tatum thing. Like these are those are similar kind of uh, pairings in my mind that they can ride with. And then with Trey uh, and then John Collins. I mean, you know, they, they're on their way. Uh, Nick, let's finish with this. Uh, we've seen analytics change basketball. We've seen actually, I think Steph Curry have a lot to do with change basketball. I think European basketball changed NBA basketball a lot. Is there a trend that you see looking forward that is on its way to the NBA? Ooh, good question. You know, it's funny. I just had Drew Hamlin on the show, who is an NBA trainer and trains all these guys. Um, and uh, how's that for name dropping? Um, <laughs> and um, and so we were talking, actually, what we were talking about was like, are there some skills that we're seeing, you know, in the last year or two that are new to the NBA, which kind of then sort of folds into like, what are we seeing play wise that's new or coming in? Um, and so, I, you know, as far as so are we talking about skill stuff that's coming in that's, that we were going to see in the NBA that it's in Europe? Skill and team that you think there's like a trend, you know, like obviously we've seen a lot of three pointers a lot more than ever. Like what's the next trend? Cause something has to be coming a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could think of right now as part of that conversation with Drew was, uh, you know, what the the heat were doing when I'm not even sure I see a lot of it in the, in the Euro just yet is to avoid getting, you know, uh, uh, pinched on the pick and rolls and getting, uh, and getting blasted that way. They'd throw the ball to the big and then follow the ball back looking for the handoff, which is pinch post action on the triangle. And you can do that anywhere on the floor. 
And you saw the Heat do that. And like, you can picture Duncan Robinson doing this all the time where he, you know, so he has to dribble the ball. He'd throw it up to Bam, sprint right on the outside and Bam either fake handoff or give it to him. And then the best part about it was either Duncan Robinson would rise up and if he's open, he'd just nail that shot or he'd get up in the air and then he would pass it to like uh, Bam rolling. So that's sort of the new version of a pick and roll. And it's not new. It's what we've been running since the twenties. You know, that's, a, that's one of the older plays. That's almost like the give and go. Right. So that is probably, you know, everyone imitates everybody else. Uh, one of the keys to good offense that I've always said is that you need to have a way of getting your guy f- sprinting 15 feet into a catch. And that's what yeah. you want. Cause back in the day we would have said, Oh, catch the ball rip through and you, you stop and you catch. And that's what we want you to be able to, you know, catch and run or run and catch. And what better way to do that is either dribble handoffs or this, you know, the, the pinch post action. So I would imagine we're going to see a little bit more of that because everyone's running the pistol stuff now, right? Everyone's doing a pin down into handoff or a handoff into ball screen. Uh, and so that's getting a bit homogenous. So you're going to have to get out of that a little bit too, because the teams are going to get used to defending that, but uh, by the way, just to switch that and then you kind of blow it up. Um, so I, I would think that that's the one thing on my mind right now, if you're putting me on the spot about like what we might see more of is that is that pinch post action, which I'm all for. Yeah, that's interesting because when I was playing overseas, I noticed the European players were a lot better at actually not catching and stopping, catching and keep going and almost throwing the ball out with a lot of flow. And uh, that's interesting. Also, you know who could do a lot of this heat-type action is the Nets with Joe Harris and uh, Shemit. I think that'd be interesting for them. Oh, absolutely. Right. Well, especially if it's like KD. Because KD versus like Bam is a whole different animal when you're talking about the being the, the fulcrum of that of that action because you got you got to stay with him you know you really can't even like step over a, a second to like maybe look, you know put a hand up for Shaman in case he shoots it. Um, my favorite thing about the Euro that they got rid of, which is really too bad, was if you were on the run and they threw the ball to you, you had to like spike the ball down on the ground to keep to start dribbling. A hundred percent. I didn't like that, Nick, because I one game I got like five travels called on me. I was so annoyed, wow. man. Oh, I, I think we should adopt that here. I think that, no, like that. no, Nick, no, it was terrible. <laughs> I like, especially if you're a guy who likes to play in transition. Like, first of all, if they did that to LeBron, like he would have to make a huge adjustment. I mean, he, you know, you practice it for a little while and they get, by the way, they, LeBron had to use it because in the Olympics in 2012 and 2008, yeah. uh, you know, and they were getting called for that too. They were, they would practice it, but it turns out the FIBA guys said, you know what, we'll just do what the, the Americans do. So it doesn't even exist anymore, which is too bad. Cause you know, I played, I went, I studied in London for a semester. So I worked out with the London, the, the university of London team, which is, it was more like a club team then in, in the early nineties. Um, and I, so I had to learn that too, but I really enjoyed that. That was a fun part of the, the game for me was like to, to have to just get it down right away and then go. It's you know, like, and, and actually that was sort of where I probably started to see the run and catch more than, you know, again, whenever the ball came to me, you'd, you'd split your feet, rip through, rip through, and, you know, yeah, and, triple yeah. fit. and uh, you started to see that, you know, uh, in the, in the European uh, game a lot more too. And then it came over here and now that's the only way you should play No more triple threat, just, just catch and go. Yeah, it's hard to play in transition in Europe because two things. One, they'll call that travel on you. Two, they'll just foul you right away if you have, oh, an, right. If you have an advantage with the dribble. That's why they teach you to pass it up in Europe, you know? Oh, that's yeah, another great point. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget. It's ingrained in my mind. I, I was back on a two-on-one. And, you know, in America, you stop around the top of the key to stop the ball. And I, yeah. I kind of was somewhere on top of the key area. 
And the guy got, you know, it wasn't even five feet from me. And all of a sudden I'm watching the ball thrown a moon ball and the guy streaks in right at the basket and lays it in. Like there was no way to stop that. And you know, what would in America that he dribble all the way up to me and then try and do a little move and like a bounce pass. Right. And I was like, I, and they kept doing that. And I was like, how are you supposed to stop this? And I think it was a sort of a soccer influence too, where they do that moon ball over the defense. Uh, it was, and I will never forget that. It was like the, the bigger, the biggest eye opener of them all when I was there. Yeah, I had Paul Shirley on my show. I don't know if you uh, heard of him. He, was, uh, he, he wrote the book, Can I Keep My Jersey? And I talked about that. The soccer influence in Europe is big because I remember in practice, guys used to, you know, in soccer, how like you get fouled a little bit. I don't even know if it's called a foul in soccer. And you act like it's the end of the world. And, yeah, right. and that's how it was in Europe. But Coach Nick, great stuff. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. Hope we could do it again soon. And let us know where we could find you on social media and everywhere else. For sure. Well, and thank you so much for having me on. I always love it. And uh, if Appreciate you want to find me, you can just, uh, if you type in B-Ball on YouTube, it'll autofill to B-Ball Breakdown and you'll be able to find me pretty easily. And that's everywhere else too. Twitter, IG. I'm launching a new YouTube membership where you're going to have some premium content there. Kind of like this kind of stuff where we can, uh, you know, chop it up and people in a, in a much more invite only kind of thing. So check that out on my YouTube channel if you like. Uh, and, and also watch parties. So you'll have to come over and maybe you'll come into a watch party and we'll, we'll chop it up while the game's going on and you can give me some insights. That would be great, Nick. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm in. There it is. Thank you for tuning into Combos Court and big thanks to Coach Nick for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, you know what it is. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Also, if you listen to this episode in its entirety and have Instagram, take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, tag me at one to combo that's only t-w-o-c-o-m-b-o thanks again for tuning in and happy holidays from combos court be on the lookout for episode two two seven combo